Hello, you're on Deep Background, the Kansas City Star's podcast about news and such. Dave Helling's gone today. I'm Scott Cannon from the Kansas City Star filling in. Um, today, we're going to do a little uh, geek talk with some folks who know a thing or two about tech. Uh, we'll call it Control-Alt-KC or something like that. Uh, with me is Leah Becerra, who's uh, one of the digital editors here. Leah, welcome. Thanks. And Jay Pilgreen, who's a digital editor and a web graphics specialist, does a lot of interactive stuff that you'll find on our website. Hi, Jay. Hi. Hi. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about tech stuff. Um, and to kick things off, we'll talk to Leah a little bit about where she was last week in Vegas. Probably not so much playing the slots, but maybe playing with robots, right? Yeah, I actually, I only gambled once, and that was this most recent time that I went there. But, um, did you win? I, I did. I walked away with like $28. All right. Winning big. Um, I was there for CES, which is a huge electronic show that they have there each year. And um, a lot of companies bring their latest and greatest technology, and some companies even do some announcements. So, um, like, I went to Samsung and Sony's press conferences while I was there. Um, a couple auto manufacturers like to announce concept cars there, too. So, like, Toyota, Hyundai, things like that. Um, so yeah, I got to basically look at a lot of really awesome new technology, some things that will make it, some things that won't, um, it all kind of depends. And there, so there's like tens of thousands of people coming to this thing, a lot of tech journalists and a lot of companies trying to sell their stuff to tech journalists. Is that a way to look at it? Um, they're trying to get, um, headline attention, I think is the way to look at it. So, um, there's a lot of startups at CES too. And they're trying to get some attention, trying to get people to eventually buy their products. Um, but there's also companies like trying out concept technologies where they're just trying to see what people's um, impressions of that device is. So um, Razer, a gaming laptop company, came out with like a concept laptop there too, where it's, it's essentially a gaming laptop, but it has three screens. And a laptop with three screens is kind of crazy. It's something that's never been done before. So they showed off like, I feel hey. like it should be illegal. <laughs> it, I mean, they, somebody it feels did really obnoxious. <laughs> One of my gaming friends did talk about how it would almost be an unfair advantage. But um, yeah, that's it's something that would be kind of cool. It's not actually something that's in production yet, but people got to see it, got to play with it. Um, and there's a lot of crazy things, too, like people walking around in robots, outfits, things like that. So A little bit of Comic-Con sort of kind attitude? Kind of, a little bit okay. uh, at times. Yeah, okay, so geek. Um, robotics are a big thing. You wrote about some uh, devices that are uh, used to teach kids how to program robots and such. Did yeah. it Was it impressive, or did it still seem like concept stuff? Um I looked at three specific companies that have already put into production um, different types of robots that help kids at an early age learn to get into programming. And um, one of the companies is actually already selling those um, devices at like Barnes & Noble electronic stores and on Amazon. There's another one that's more so in the startup phase. And um, there's a third one that is selling them, but I think it might only be through their site right now. But I was looking at them particularly because um, I think a lot of job training really requires people to know something about computers nowadays. So it's important for kids to get into programming early if they can. Um, and these types of devices and robots were a really good way for people to do that. So, 
And were they sort of learning toys or were they more functional? Could it fetch me a beer or <laughs> fix my flat tire? Well, um, so the two, um, the two robots intended for ages seven and up and eight and up are so a no little beer. Can't do the beer task. <laughs> the um, there was one called the Stemi Hexapod that seemed like you could actually tweak it and design it to um, do something a little bit more functional like that. So they had an example there that actually had like a a pickup truck bed on it, so you could use it to move things around. And another one that had like some jaws on the front of it, so it could clamp down on something and move it. So who knows? Maybe you could make it open up a refrigerator and okay. grab a cold one for you. And it was interesting, I, you took note of some new watches that Garmin's bringing out. And they, they're you know, an interesting local company that uh, you know, work in this GPS field. And they sort of got bullied out of that market at a, an interesting stage, at least on the consumer level. And we all got them on our phones. And they, they even came out with a, uh, a, a phone of their own at one point saying, if you're really into GPS, this does it well. And it was at an age when that was still sort of fresh. They, and they, they still do a lot in, in the marine world and aviation, but I've been amazed at how they've challenged Fitbit and the others and the sort of various trackers that everybody wears on their wrists and other body parts today to see what they're doing. Did, yeah. did you get much enthusiasm for what Garmin was putting out there? I, um, you know, I didn't actually think about the fact that Garmin has actually been in the wearable space for a really long time, because when I think of wearables, I tend to think of wristlets, and I tend to think of um, Fitbit, things along those lines. I have a Misfit Ray. Um, but when I was talking to their booth, they mentioned to me that Garmin's been in wearables for 12 years now, and I was like, oh yeah, you have. This this company has been doing this for a really long time, and um, it's something that just never really occurred to me before, and I will say that they're new wearables do look very nice and it is nice that they will stand alone from the phone which is something that apple's had a really hard time moving toward and i think a lot of people are ready for that company to do so yeah jay you wearing any fitbit or anything today? i don't i don't i asked for one for christmas but i didn't get it so <laughs> there we go um it, it, and there was a much on the driverless car development there. Did you see anything that was exciting or? Um, you know, I went to last year's CES too, and I think that there was a little bit more emphasis on driverless technology that year. This year there was a little bit less, um, but the same companies and the same types of things were there on the driverless front. So like um, the company that makes, what's it called? one of the types of sensors for the driverless cars to see was there. And um, there were a couple demos driving around the city. Unfortunately, this is the second year in a row that I did not get to ride in a driverless car, which I'm very sad about. Um, but I did talk to AI Motive, which is one of the companies working on that type of technology. Okay, we'll, we'll order you Uber later and you pretend <laughs> that, it's, that, that, that there's no driver there. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, that to me seems to be a really interesting way in which technology won't just be sort of gee whiz, but has a way, uh, will change society. That, that you, you, the truck driving jobs will go away in, in your lifetime probably, right? I, I think those are, I mean, that's, that's the sort of questions that I'm most interested in, you know? And so when Lee and I were talking um, yesterday about her experience, uh, and I would uh, ask it here as well, what, 
like what did you see that you think would change the landscape? Well, I mean, a lot of technology is broken down between gadgets that, that may help uh, individuals or they can help get information. And then there's really big ones like the um, um, automation in, in, in robots and, and the driverless cars, et cetera, et cetera. What was something that you saw that you thought that could really change kind of our landscape? Was, was there anything there? Um, there was an interesting booth. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with it, but they were showing off a car that they 3D printed, which was kind of cool. And I think that um, if more companies were able to make safe, reliable cars that were 3D printed, I kind of wonder what effect that might have on our um, environmental imprint and things along those lines. And this was, once again, just a concept car. And it was small. It was a single-seater, so not really the type of car that anybody would drive right now. Um, but it was sort of an interesting thing to think about. And there wasn't really that, like, one product that anybody was selling that was like, this is so revolutionary and this is going to change everything. Um, but I do think that the technology, maybe it is 3D printing or something along those lines, is currently in place that will have an effect on our future. Yeah, the, the driverless car thing is just is. You know, I have an 85-year-old father who's in great shape, but he lives up in the mountains, and he needs a car to get around. And he's, like, very closely watching when the driverless cars are going to kick in because he wants them to kick in before he reaches that age where he can't drive around anymore. Yeah. Um, was there much talk about the Internet of Things? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody keeps talking about IoT and um, specifically how... AI assistants, voice assistants play into that area. So um, Alexa got a lot of attention at CES this year, and um, Google Home didn't get as much attention. Um, I didn't see anything having to do with Cortana. Oddly enough, recently, the last one is Microsoft's. And these Alexa, yeah. Google Home, they're basically speakers in your house that you'd say, play me some Ray Charles or, yeah. or whatever, or you ask it what, who's the, the point guard for Kentucky, you're able to talk to him. I, yeah. I did a story a couple of weeks ago when there was the Alexa case down in Arkansas where investigators are wondering if Alexa might have overheard something that would play into a murder case. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to get into it and talking to some of the computer scientists and such, and there's real anxiety among some of those people about the privacy issues. And one guy, you know, pointed me, I, I, I'm an Android user, and I have uh, an Android phone, and if you want to ask an Android phone something, you, you, you say, okay, Google, and it, and it starts to listen and begins to answer your question the same way Siri does. I went and looked in my Google account, and there were, you know, I could see where I, I, the, the point guard question came up, because that was one of the ones that I had in there, but there were also just snippets of my life, little two, three-second bits of conversation where my phone had misheard something I said mm -hmm. that thought was okay Google, and it was listening in. And so these people are talking about um, the, the, the privacy implications of that. Jay, are you worried? Are you, how protective of your privacy? You know, we got a Google Home uh, uh, when they came out, and I, I like it. Uh, but and the prosecutors will like it when you offer your they wife. They will indeed. Um, <laughs> normally, I'm not uh, concerned all that much with um, some of the privacy issues. Uh, I don't feel like I do anything bad. So what are you gonna 
you know, what is a person going to know? But having said that, like, like you said, I went through my Google history. And um, when it's you, it's, it's, it's one thing. But the, the fascinating thing that was that my daughter had recorded a bunch of requests as well. And so it, it was her voice that I could hear playing. And, and it, was, it was fascinating. You could see what the Google Home interpreted her, interpreted that she said, uh, which was nothing what, what she said. And when I listened to it, I understand how the Google Home heard it, and I know my daughter's speech, so I know what she said. But it, it does raise a little interesting question, and we'll hear it uh, go off uh, randomly. So I think, you know, in, in the, the story that you wrote, um, it, it is possible that there's little random snippets getting picked up because we'll hear the bell ding uh, just, you know, while we're talking. Um, or the TV will kick it on uh, or, or, or whatever else. Personally, I'm not too concerned about it. I like the convenience, but it is definitely a trade, and you have to make that conscious choice of uh, trading some of that convenience for a little bit of that privacy. Right, and the more you share with it, the better it performs for you. So there is, it's a it's sort of constant dilemma. And we've seen all through the, this digital age, if you will, that people, time and again, will give up their data for stuff, for performance. They'll, they're glad, maybe not glad or not even aware of it, but they will surrender stuff for data miners in return for an email account uh, like Gmail or for a, a device in the home that can play the right song at the right time. How, how, how good is the, uh, the Google Home and does it respond to your command? Because it, it's an interesting dilemma that the, the voice recognition has got significantly better just in the last two years really. But it's, I find that when I, if it doesn't work the first time, then it's like, yeah, Hell with this. <laughs> I, I've, I've experienced uh, a little frustration. Sometimes it uh, it won't hear me issue the you know get started command, um, but it's pretty good. Uh, the, the thing that I find most interesting about it is that when I first got the thing, I wanted to talk to it like a person, and I, w I would say please and, and make these long <laughs> statements, and it would get confused. Uh, and so one of the things I find most fascinating is that if you're just cold to it, almost like Star Trek cold to it, it always gets it right. So, you know, you can't say, could you please turn the volume up? You just have to say volume up. And it feels weird for me because I, I like to be a pleasant person. Right, but, right. Uh, even to your things. You, you learn a little bit about how to use the tool. It's just a tool yeah. uh, like anything else. Of course, you, you guys have probably seen there's people put up various YouTubes where they get the... They program the Alexa and the home to talk to each other mm -hmm. and get to mm -hmm. on a, yeah. an endless loop of, of robot talk that goes nowhere <laughs> and somewhere at the same time. Um, it, the, but, but getting back to the Internet of Things, and what, uh, again, for our audience, it's over 50 here, that's a list of the podcast. It's basically any kind of device you have that's connected to the Internet. Yeah. You could have a, a, a refrigerator that's connected to the Internet, so you're better aware when you go to the grocery store that you need another gallon of milk. Or even your bed, for example. I, I went to the... Um, okay, that's not troublesome at all. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> CES has this um, area where they say, like, these are kind of like the best-in-show type. And um, this year there was, like, a smart bed as part of that group, and I've been bed shopping, and of course, I like kind of looked at it and read what it was all about, and I was like, I don't really know that I want a smart bed. So, what was it tracking about? So, um, what the smart bed did is it actually 
um, would adjust to your body in the middle of the night to kind of give you a better sleep. Um, and I'm sure it would be then needing to download or send that information in some way. Um, there was also a... But you, I mean, let's be play the paranoid for a second. Yeah. I mean, that could reveal something about your sex life. It could real, reveal something about your health, about how, good, how, oh, yeah. how much sleep you're getting. All these things that maybe aren't, you know, we don't ought not to be embarrassed about, but can be embarrassed mm-hmm. about. You, you wrote as well about um, a smart breast pump. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that... How cool, you know, let, a better breast pump, better mousetrap, let's go there. Yeah. But it also is going to reveal something about that woman's health if that information is, I, I, did that have a, I don't know if that was an Internet of Things, was that connected? or it's, That's it, more of a wearable smart. type type of okay. technology. It is a smart breast pump. Um, the way that that is smart, though, oh, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. <laughs> um, the way that that is smart, though, is that, it um, measures the amount of milk that's being taken from a mother's breast as she's pumping, um, and it alerts the person, the user's phone, while they're doing it so that they can know, okay, like, I need to switch bags really quick, or, like, oh, I have this much for the week. Um, it kind of helps them with that whole, you know, stage into motherhood. Maybe it's maybe it's their first child, so... I hear that breast pumping is really awful. I've, I've never had a child, but every single woman who is at this booth is like, this is revolutionary. This is amazing. It's like quiet and it works well and they don't have to carry around like a suitcase with them to make it work. So Yeah, the breast pumping stage is, is really a trial for all working women in particular. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine like a La Leche group sharing their numbers with each other. I did four ounces before yeah. lunch today. What have you done? And, yeah, the interface is kind of, it's, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Fitbit app, but it did kind of remind me of that. It's measuring things and it's um, giving you like a tally. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, but which, and again, the, 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 flip, the upside flip side is she goes to her doctor, that information might come invaluable at some point. Or yeah. So again, it's this, to me, it's this ongoing dilemma of how, what are we going to, what's, what do we get in return for what we give up in mm-hmm. terms of our privacy? Um, Jay, you have any other connected things in your house? Uh, not very many. We're actually pretty low tech. Um, we, that was a, the Google Home was kind of a, a stretch for us. We did get the fiber, so we, we connect that way. Um, but most of the things, you know, we're average, and you're average ple- tech consumers. You're talking about fiber, talking about Google fiber. Google fiber, yeah. We, and we you're pleased with it? or? Yeah, we like it quite a bit. Um, you know, it's, it's internet. It's, right. it's kind of one of those things where you figure everybody's just got it. Um, and that's not true, but that, that's uh, I, I haven't found anything that made it super ridiculously awesome compared to the competition, but it's good. It's stable. Right. But it would switch a little bit to Kansas City focus. Your Google Fiber is a, an interesting thing that certainly happened here in Kansas City. And what the net effect of what it's done is force the, the competition to increase their speeds. And their, so people in Kansas City get a lot of internet for a little bit of money relative to the rest of the country. What, what's been interesting to me is that you haven't seen some sort of revolution come out of that yet. That the, the idea was, okay, what happens when you put, you know, institutional sized bandwidth into somebody's living room? And what you find is, well, you can download movies or stream movies without any buffering. And we really haven't seen a direct effect. There's been some, just I think, just because of the publicity and the attention that there's been um, 
really uh, substantial efforts to bridge the digital divide in Kansas City. So I think there are more people who, who didn't have internet at all are now connected in some way or another because of, of uh, a couple of groups in town. But you, you still haven't seen that revolution. Well, to get a, just slightly geeky on it, uh, there's there's two parties involved, and so you can have a connection like Google Fiber that's massively fast uh, and, and extremely reliable. But if you go to Facebook, um, it, it's in a, a zone that doesn't have that bandwidth, and it's limiting how much it's going to let out. Right, there are bottlenecks all over. There the, are bottlenecks the, all the over, internet. and the internet is about interacting with somebody else or, or another machine, um, and, and that other machine isn't always on that same network. And so it's it's it doesn't have as the speed. Uh, so even if I'm skyping with my aunt in Alabama, it doesn't do me any good because her internet is still old. Correct. Uh, you may have the fastest internet in the country, but like to to go to our website, for example, cansee.com, you're going out to Texas, and so it, it they're not on that same speed. Uh, so that's where you don't see a lot of the major benefits. You know, the thing about fiber that's really nice is that everyone in the family can interact um, uh, and, and not have any suffering. So a large family of five people and three teenagers and everybody's watching video, you know that you're not the problem as far as the bottlenecks or the bandwidth the, you know, um, buffering. But when it comes to checking Facebook or going to Gmail or anything else, you don't have a revolutionary bump because you're having to interact with the world that's outside of that really fast zone. Right, and how much speed did you need to check your Gmail anyway? I mean, YouTube, maybe it's a little quicker to go, but, and, and I've got Google Fiber at home too, and they do a good job of integrating Google Fiber into the, the TV package. They're also, um, if, if people out there have Google Fiber and aren't using it, their casting ability is really nice. It's, it's anything I've got on my phone, I'm two clicks away from putting it on my, my TV, and I, I, that's how I listen to my music now. I've got my it's through my TV because via my phone, it's all on the same Wi-Fi. It works pretty slick. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what we like or don't like about the tech scene in Kansas City. We'll, and we'll be revisiting some of these issues in about a, every six weeks or so. Um, but Leah, you want anything about Kansas City's tech scene that you want to re recommend or compliment? To the yeah. Um, I've lived in, you know, some bigger cities. I've lived in Chicago. I've also lived in St. Louis. And... Um, one thing, we'll pretend St. Louis is a real city yeah. for the moment. <laughs> um, I, I really I love Kansas City. I moved here in July, and um, one of the things that I love so much about it, and I think tech firms will, if they haven't already figured this out, will appreciate, is um, how relatively inexpensive it is to live here and how much it still really is and feels like it is a bigger city. Um, and you get like all the food and entertainment things to go along with that. And, you know, right now we also have a plethora of space for these businesses to move into. So it seems like an opportune moment to really strike if a company were thinking about coming into this type of space. Jay, what about you? You recommend something in tech in Kansas City? You know, um, coming from the perspective of a programmer uh, that's been doing it for about 10 years. Um, Kansas City, uh, I have found to be uh, really inviting, uh, much, much like it's the same with the artists uh, that, that we support uh, and get a lot of praise for. You know, uh, the, the city government has given some incentives for startups, and at the same time, you have very large companies that are absorbing a lot of programming people. So it's, 
uh, I think they're they're doing a good job of building that community. Um, and over time, you know, hopefully the education comes in and, and the people that are working there are teaching their kids and then <laughs> you start to get a little bit of a, uh, a larger community. But it, it takes a while. Uh, for the infancy, I think Kansas City's doing a great job um, for this size market. Yeah. All right. Well, mine's a little less thoughtful and a little more uh, uh, just handy. I, I recommend people go to their library for geek stuff. <laughs> I get it. I, I have library cards to both Midcontinent Library and the Kansas City Library. They're both legit. As a result, I get five downloads each of a song through Freegal. It's 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 a great deal. You get five, and you also get unlimited streaming of music. The catalog isn't absolutely robust. It's great for oldies and has some current stuff, but you it's a good way to fill out your your collection. And you, they're they're five. You get to keep them. It's free, legal, freegal. Um, and they also have Hoopla, which you sort of check out an album for a couple of weeks, and that that will fill in some of the gaps in the catalog that Freegal doesn't cover. Um, the Olathe and Johnson County libraries don't offer this. They've found that um, a relatively few, so that every time I get one of these free downloads, this, of course it's not really free, the library has to pay some royalty to Freegal. Johnson County, I think, or Olathe, or maybe both experimented with Freegal and they decided too few people were taking advantage of it. So Scott Cannon's getting all his songs and everybody else is subsidizing his music collection. They use... Um, Another service that's it's a streaming service, um, and it's more sort of focused on classical music. Um, so you've got to be a little more highfalutin. But reach out to your library if you want music. It's it's there, and they all have great CD collections. And you can go online, reserve them. They'll tell you when they they'll send you an email when it's sitting there for you at the library. So go for that. Um, so let's go negative a little bit. What's Leah? What's wrong with Kansas City and tech? You know, I don't know um, why this is other than just because we're in the middle of the country. And I think East and West Coasters have some connotations with that. But it seems like um, it's really hard to draw like East Coast and West Coast tech talent into um, Kansas City. And that's a negative, but I don't necessarily know. Um, what the reason for that negative is. So very recently I was kind of contacting people about a position and I encountered like five people who just weren't interested in moving to Kansas City. And I, I didn't really ask why, maybe I should have, but I was very perplexed by that. I was like, what, what isn't there to like about it? Like you, you get to live and have a great time, spend less money and I, I just don't see. Yeah, you know, I, I worked is. in California for a couple of years, and I'm a uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and it was interesting to talk to native Californians. They it was not something they could, it was it was like tell them to move to Siberia. Yeah, I mean, we don't have an ocean, we don't have a mountains. The weather is kind of lousy, right? It's either kind of <laughs> too cold or too hot, and the spring and, and fall always seems too short. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. You'd think in this digital age, when you can be anywhere, that that there'd be a lot of people thinking exactly, well, it's cheap in Kansas City. Yeah. And you can get around. You don't have to wait in line for anything. So, Jay? Uh, you know, tech is just tech. There's, there's nothing inherently good or bad about it. It's, it's how you use it. And um, the as far as how tech is bad on a community, it, it kind of removes the borders of the community. And so... Um, 
you, you just have to be careful on, on, on how it replaces and what, and what it replaces and how that affects everybody else. Um, you know, last night the president gave a speech on the, the giant sorting machine. That's a dangerous thing with tech because it sorts things. That's what it does. Um, and, and so you just have to be be careful about it and, and worry about what's happening and, and how it's dividing people. Yeah, well, it's interesting that sorting works in a weird way because now, in some ways, I you can be more connected with somebody in Montana than you might be with somebody across the street. Right. And then there's, there's a healthiness to that. We find like-minded people, but we also obviously shut off in our bubbles and pick our own facts. I, I think it, it hurts community uh, or it changes it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily hurt it. It just changes what community is. Um, hey, wouldn't you wouldn't you say that, that that online community is as valuable as it might be is a lesser thing than in real life? I don't think it has to be. I I, I know people that um, get a lot of value out of it, and and I've played video games with people in different countries. Um, I I think it's interesting. Uh, and I can't do that sort of stuff with my neighbors because they're all asleep. <laughs> but you have to give and take. You have to have both. You can't, uh, like anything else in life, it's about moderation. And so you can't go all in on one deal or else a lot of things are going to lose. Right. And your point is there's nothing about playing, um, what's the war game that everybody plays? World of Warcraft. Sure. Or yeah. Something. If we're going to go to the super, I was thinking of the, the army one, but you're going to the super dorky one. That's cool. <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with you playing World of Warcraft with somebody in Ukraine. That doesn't stop you from having a beer with the guy across the street. Doesn't, right? no. Right, right. But it does provide a, a different type of kinship, you know. It's just, those are good things. Right, right. Uh, again, I'm on the more prosaic. I want to gripe about the Wi-Fi on the streetcar. So <laughs> we thought it was... Does it work? I have not tried it. It works. Here's the problem. You've got to sign up for it every time you go back. Oh. So it's like, heck with it, you know. It, the, the streetcar may be a novelty. It may be great if it grows. It's, it's funny now when I go out there, I, it's like, if I catch it, I'll take it. Otherwise, I can outwalk the damn thing. But if those times when I do, you know, I'm, I'm lazy or whatever, and I'm going to catch it, I'll, you know, okay, so I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm looking at my phone. I want to take, I've, I've got a phone plan now that's highly sensitive on my cell data, so I want to go to the Wi-Fi, but it's not worth the hassle of signing. And it's, and again, I'm giving them something. They use that data. They want to know about me so that they can feed information to the businesses along the streetcar so they can plan what restaurants, when to do their happy hours, that sort of thing. But i got to sign up every dang time. So anyway, if, if we could just have a one-time sign-on sprint, guys, who are doing that free. It is free, so I, I've got no reason to complain. But um, that's my gripe for today. Again, the more prosaic. Um, well, listen, thanks for talking tech with us, guys. I uh, hope we can come back again in a couple of weeks. And um, for anybody out there that's still listening at the end of this long conversation, um, please subscribe, maybe give us a review, tell your neighbors so you can complain with them about the work we do. Just as long as you listen and click on us, we're grateful. And that's it. You've been on Deep Background. Deep Background.